Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. I'm really excited to dive into this chapter of Philippians today as we continue our series, Joyful. And so uh, we're talking about being people that are full of joy. The last couple of weeks, we talked about finding joy in community and in serving. And today we find that our joy is anchored in a relationship with Jesus. Relationships really, really matter. And to be honest, relationships sometimes come with perks, and, and I don't know of any relationship in my life that, that comes with more perks and more blessings than my relationship with Jesus. It literally tops all. But I had a great childhood. My dad, uh, he's here today, and, and my mom, and my dad pastored a great church, and, and, and maybe you've heard things about pastor's kids and, and whatnot, but I had a great time. So I don't know what all those other pastor's kids in the, in the world are doing, but I had an amazing uh, life, an amazing growing up life, and I loved being a pastor's kid. And many times, I would unashamedly use the pastor's kid card to my advantage. Maybe you've known a pastor's kid like that, but um, I mean, you know, there was this certain lady at church that always had a pocket full of quarters because she knew I was coming to get some quarters for the Pepsi machine. Remember the Pepsi machines? You kids don't know what you're missing. You'd go and you'd plug a quarter or two in, get your, get your pop out, um, and it, it was amazing. Sometimes uh, I had access to parts of the building that no one else had access to. I had knowledge about things in the building that other people didn't know. I was... I was loved, right? Because I was loved by my, my folks and they created great experiences for me, I had, I had access to places and people that sometimes other people didn't have access to. Why? Because I had a relationship with the boss. Come on. Sometimes it's good to have a relationship with the boss. You know, people pay extra to get that VIP badge at concerts. Why? So they could get close to certain people. Relationship is a huge thing. And you know what, though? It wasn't because what I had did, unlike a concert VIP pass, I didn't have to pay for my access. It wasn't because of anything I did or because I deserved it or because I was necessarily a good kid. There was a lot of kids, or a lot of people back then that were probably like, man, this kid's kind of annoying sometimes, right? Quick story, one, one, of my, one of our favorites that gets retold a lot is uh, I was kind of a monkey and so I would climb up on the overhang and then I would swing down upside down as, as people were coming into church and scare the older ladies, <laughs> right? So just imagine you're about to walk into church and, and Spider Kid swings down and says, hey, right? Right, I had access to places, right? But it wasn't because of what I did that earned me the access that I had. It was because of whose I was. It was because of my relationship with my father, right? And it's the same in your home. You hopefully have access, security, relationship in your home, hopefully, that makes you feel secure, that makes a difference in your life, that makes a huge impact. You know, the converse is also true. If, if you don't have a great home life, then it's, it's lacking in security and it's lacking in love and it's, it's, it's lacking in relationship. But when it comes to our faith, we love to muddy the water when it comes to all things, religion, church, faith, God, and we like to make it about so many other things. 
But it's impossible to overstate how big the concept of, of relationship is when it comes to your faith. We all know about going to church. You're here today. You're sitting here. You're checking it off the list for the week, some of you. But really, when it comes down to it, it's not about religion. Religion is all about what you do. It's about a relationship. It's about whose you are. And your two-way relationship that you can have with the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. The one who spoke and everything came into being. But many times when it comes to faith, when it comes to religion, we trivialize it with what we're doing and we trivialize it with worldly descriptions of that, that really just boil down to religiosity. We say things like this, and, and man, if you're guilty of saying any of these things, I'm, I'm not picking on you today. Man, I'm trying to lead us to a place that is just so much better. And so just bear with me for a moment. But we say things like, I'm, I'm a person of faith. When people hear that, they don't really know specifically what you mean. They, they just think, oh, well, you follow some faith. We say things like, oh, we're all spiritual beings. Isn't that just a great catch-all? It's like no one really knows what it means, but, but it, it makes us feel better to say it. People say, oh, yes, I'm a religious person. And when I hear that, I'm just like, I, I, I don't even know what that means, but okay. We say, I'm a good person. I, you know, the, my good outweighs my bad. Good karma is, is a, is a t term that a, little, a lot of people like to use these days. People say, well, we, we all have different paths. You choose your path and I'll choose my path, but don't they all lead to the same place? People say, well, I heard, I hold to a certain belief system. And so we have all these different ways describing faith and religious conviction and, and what we're doing, but none of them, none of them suffice for what we're trying to do here. None of them. People say, well, what faith tradition do you come from? And so we have all these different words to kind of candy coat and to soften what it really comes down to. And what it really comes down to is that you and I and every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth has a God-shaped hole in their heart and they're trying to figure out how to fill it, how to get purpose in their life, how to figure out why in the world you are put here on this earth, why in the world were you born? The only problem with all these terms and all these ways of describing spiritual life and religion and all of that, the biggest problem is that we aren't following a religion. We're not following a system. We're not just following some, some blanket statement of faith in something obscure. We are following a person. We're following a person. We're not just spiritual beings in some, some vague way. We know, and you can know if you don't already, we know the spirit who created us. He breathed his own breath into our lungs. So this isn't some far off God, this isn't some just, just intangible thing that we're, that we're doing, no. We're talking about a person. We're not just good people, and we're, when it really comes down to it, we're not good people at all. 
We are made made right in God's eyes through the brutal and horrific sacrifice of our sinless Savior who is executed like a criminal on a cross for our sin. We don't all have different paths. There is one path that leads to everlasting life, and it comes by believing in, and as a result of our faith, knowing God. It's amazing. But this flies in the face of and is so contrary to so many of the faith statements that we make so much of the time. You see, in the Old Testament, God didn't show up to Abraham or to Moses or any of the people that he had encounters with and say, hey guys, let's start the Jewish religion. Let's start Judaism. No, you know what he said? He showed up and he said, I am. He showed up to introduce himself as a person, as someone that could be known and someone that knew the people he was talking to. Many times he knew more about them than they they knew about themselves. In the New Testament, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm gonna start a new religion and we're gonna call it Christianity. No, he showed up and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life follow me. Simple as that. And so God the Father in the Old Testament shows up and says, I am. It's very personal. Jesus shows up. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you really boil it down, Christian literally means someone who follows Christ. The earliest description of those who followed Jesus, they were called the followers of the way. And when we look at the New Testament, it wasn't something easy. It wasn't something that just people just took this label because they went somewhere on the weekend. No. No. It wasn't complicated to be a follower of the way, but at the same time, it wasn't easy. And so these people made a huge choice. Many times it made huge effects on their life and their friendships and their families. Some of them were excommunicated from their their families and from their synagogues and from wherever they, they were used to, all because they followed Jesus. And it wasn't just because it was a new fad religion, it was because Jesus went from their head to their heart. He went from being just an idea to somebody that they had actually seen to somebody that they actually knew, somebody they could actually put their trust in. That's what Jesus wants to do for you today. He wants to go from your head to your heart. This is not a mental ascent. It's not just knowing certain things. Jesus wants to get to the core of who you are and be the source of life for you from which everything flows. Romans 10, eight through 10 says it like this. The message, which is Jesus, is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. That sounds pretty close, doesn't it? And the message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There's a closeness there, right? John John 17, 3, it says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you the one or the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
It's about a relationship. John 15, 12 through 15, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love. Guys, we're not talking about just a list of do's and don'ts to follow. Although there are things that we should and should not do, that's very clear in God's word. We're talking about a love relationship. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Hear these key words of relationship here. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Jesus is looking at his disciples and looking at you and me and he's saying, hey, you're more than just somebody who does what I say to do. You're my friend. You're my friend. Jesus wants to be closer to you than you ever thought possible. And unfortunately, so many times in our hearts that are just okay with religion, we leave it on the shelf. We leave it on the shelf. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a friend of God because of what Jesus stood on the cross and how he rose again. Everything's different now. And so today... We're going to dig into this in Philippians chapter 3. In my opinion, it's one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scripture. And so the first couple of weeks, we started with some byproducts, which are community and serving. But all of it flows out of the root, which is your relationship with Jesus. And so we got to anchor our lives in a relationship with Jesus. And so to find joy in your relationship with Jesus, number one, You need to safeguard your faith. So let's dig into this today. How do we do this? Verse one, Philippians chapter three. Hey, just so you know, by the end of this series, at the end of next week, you will have read an entire book of the Bible. And we're gonna give yourselves a hand next week when we get done. Because some of you, you know, this is the first entire book of the Bible that you've ever read. And so just so you know, it's possible you can do it. And we've done it this month. Isn't that cool? It's gonna be awesome. All right, verse one, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. And Paul is driving these points home to safeguard our faith. Then he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. There's a lot going on here. But first, we see that we need to have a posture of joy. This is what we've been talking about this whole month, a posture of joy. And that joy, just just having a a go-to response that in all things, we're going to rejoice in the Lord and what he's done for us. It's going to be a safeguard to our faith. We need safeguards. 
And we implement this, this thought in all kinds of, area of our, areas of our life. For instance, you know, we, we guard what is most precious to us by things like baby cams. Anybody have a, a baby cam? And, and, you know, you got the camera in your kid's room and you got the little monitor on your bedside table so you can keep an eye on your kids. Come on, how many, how many of us have done that, right? How many of you have life insurance? Anybody, anybody have life insurance? I've got some life insurance. Why? Because I want to safeguard my family just in case I kick the bucket uh, in an untimely way, right? We've got security systems at our house to protect all of our stuff, right? All of our junk. We've got all kinds of ways that we safeguard our lives. But it's funny sometimes the things that we safeguard and then the things that we don't. Sometimes our safeguards make sense. Sometimes there's an area of our life where we're like, man, I should have a safeguard over there. For instance, you know, you might not let your, bike, your, your kid ride his bike, you know, down the block without his helmet, or maybe you don't let him ride down to UDF because you're afraid of what might happen on the, along the way, but you'll give them an unrestricted iPhone with no restrictions at all and say, have fun, right? Some of these hit home. Listen. I only give that example to show that many times we safeguard things that are temporary. But we don't put a safeguard on the things that matter most. And so Paul is saying here, he's like, hey, safeguard your life with joy and watch out. Because there are people in this world that want to make your faith about something that it shouldn't be. There are people in this world that want to get the wrong ideas in your heart and the wrong ideas in your head and want to lead you down a path that will not lead in life, but it will lead to death. We struggle to read our Bibles and pray daily, but we'll binge on social media, we'll binge on streaming services or news sources. We trust in all kinds of earthly securities, but we don't watch out for false teaching in our life or false thinking. Listen, this world will never be your source of joy. Your accomplishments, your material gain, your efforts, all of these things will not bring you joy in the end. What will bring you the most joy is your surrender to Jesus Christ safeguarding your life with the joy that comes from that relationship. I want to I want to just ask you a tough question today. How guarded are your choices? Who you're listening to, what you're letting in your mind and in your eyes. Paul gives us a pattern. It starts with joy. We start with a posture of joy and then we move to the inputs, what we're letting in. I don't get joy from the safeguards. How many of you know if you tell your kid, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, all they wanna do is do that, right? Have you ever seen that? When you're not, the first time you don't look, it's like they're reaching in the cookie jar. The safeguard itself doesn't bring us joy. The safeguards protect your joy. And so you begin with, an, with a relationship with Jesus where you're putting him first. And because you want to safeguard that relationship with Jesus, you take a really good look at the things that you're letting into your mind and into your heart so that you can protect the joy that he's already given you. Because what's the sign that you are his? What's the sign that you belong to him? Is it your human effort, some outward signs that you're a Christian, your church attendance, your, your clean speech, the fish on the back of your car? No, no. 
It's the cross and the joy that you receive from it. Jesus' work on the cross, the fact that he put his life in your place and he paid your sin debt, that is the source of your joy. Amen? Amen. And so whatever happens, we have joy, and then we guard our lives and protect our joy at all costs. The second thing that we see is that we place no confidence in our own efforts. Verse four through six, it says, indeed, if, if others have received confidence for their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. At that time and in, that, in the Jewish religion, that was a big deal, right? That set you apart from the rest of the world. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Man, if we were to translate Paul's story into our vernacular today, you know, we would have looked at Paul and been like, man, he's disciplined, he's accomplished, he's done it all, everybody looks up to him. Man, this dude knows what he's talking about. He's confident. He's risen to this, to this position of notoriety and even fame. His self-discipline, it was admirable. Many of you have your own checklists in life. Maybe you were baptized as a baby. You go to church at least twice a year. You've got the family Bible with the whole family tree inside of it. Maybe you even went to catechism or confirmation or maybe that, you know, for what, whatever the checklist. And then, and then it, it crosses over to the worldly things. Man, you even went to college or, or you got a great job and you, you've reached a certain salary level and, and you've got a car and you've got a house and, and life is good, Right? And you look at your life and, you've, and, and you're like, man, I'm pretty good. I've got some good stuff. Maybe your good even outweighs your bad, right? And just like Paul, you can look at different things in your life and say, hey, I've got it made. These are the things that, that make me who I am. Maybe your goods don't outweigh your bads and you're really worried about that too. You see, it doesn't matter which side you're on, if you have done pretty good in life or if you're struggling. We all need a relationship with Jesus and it doesn't come by how good we are or what we've done. Listen, trusting in your own achievements can bring you glory now, no doubt about it, but it leaves you spiritually bankrupt later. Trusting in Christ's accomplishment on the cross gives him the glory now and results in our eternal righteousness and security. So what would you rather do? Place confidence in your own efforts or rest in the joy of having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Number three, the third thing we see, these are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, so let's buckle up. We see that we need to value your relationship with Christ above all else. All in, total commitment. This is what it's all about. Verse seven, I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about his accomplishments, all the stuff he did. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Some of you need to underline that and underline it again and put it on your fridge and put it on your mirror and put it in your car and put it on your home screen. Put it everywhere you need to put it to get it deep down in your heart. Everything else is worthless when compared with with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I wanna know Christ. I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Wow. What a goal, what a mission statement, what a, a filter to put your life through. Paul had spent his whole life focusing on his accomplishments, his performance, and his status. And in a moment, that all changed. When did it change? When Jesus spoke to him. You see, when Jesus showed up in Paul's life, it wasn't just an idea. Paul was on the road to Damascus and a bright light appeared and Paul fell to the ground and Jesus spoke to him. And guess what the first words out of Paul's mouth was when Jesus spoke to him? He said, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Because all of Paul's work and all of Paul's knowing about God didn't lead to Paul knowing God personally. And so it's only fitting that this guy that knew all about God, that his goal would change from knowing knowledge to personally knowing and having a relationship with his Savior. Does that make sense? So before that moment, Paul knew a lot about God. And in that moment, he realized how much he didn't really know God. He didn't even know his voice. Wow. So in that moment, Jesus went from being just an idea to oppose to a person to follow. What could make somebody do a a complete 180? What could make somebody make such a big drastic shift and change in their life? What could make somebody count everything else in life as garbage? The only answer that I come up with, something real. Something real. Not something fake. Not just a list of do's and don'ts. Not just religion. Not just, you know, I I do these things and so I'm better than everybody else. No. Something real. You and I Every single person in this room, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, we all need a real encounter with Jesus. You need daily disciplines that put your relationship with him first. You need a revaluation of your relationship with him and you need to put the value back in. Too many times we say, I don't have time, I'm too busy. I, don't, I, I, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to value Jesus as much as this verse is talking about. There's too many things that take precedence in my life. Listen, church, and I'm talking to myself today because this is where we're all out. 
A lack of time is actually a lack of priorities. If you don't have time, the truth is, you don't have priorities. We always make time for what's most important to us. Every time. Don't we? And so, we gotta get this in our heart. In our hearts. I wanna know him. I wanna suffer with him. Does that sound fun? Does that sound easy? No. But it's always worth it. I wanna know him. I wanna suffer with him. Why? Because he did it for me. I wanna count everything else in my life as garbage. Nothing matters more than knowing Christ. So how do we do that? Number four, we're gonna focus on the process of moving forward. Verse 12 through 16, it says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you, degree, if you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So what does it say? Keep pressing on. Keep going after it. Does it mean you're perfect? Does it mean you ever will be perfect? No. But you're pressing on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed you. And he, he bought you with a high price. He didn't pay such a high price so you could just live a status quo, mediocre life as if you never met him. He, he purchased your freedom so that you could be different, so that you could live a life that's focused and centered on him. Amen? Listen, we, we should be in a constant state of pressing on. Sometimes we just want to sit back and watch Netflix. I get it. Sometimes we just need to veg and turn the mind off and just not do anything. No, I get it. But when it comes to our spiritual health and our spiritual life, we got to have this attitude that I'm not giving up. I'm not, I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep going. We gotta hold on to the progress we've made. We're not stepping back. We're not letting it, it fall to the wayside. No, we're always pressing forward. Listen, it's way harder to maintain, much less uh, take ground. It's way harder to maintain. It's even harder to take ground. If you wanna argue with that, you know, let's just see who's at the same weight they were when they got out of high school. <laughs> Anybody here today? Not many hands up. I'm not sure if, if anyone here that maybe is, has at least reached their 30s is at the same weight they were when they graduated high school, right? Because it's hard to maintain. It is hard. But these verses tell us that we can't coast. And we have to at least maintain. We've got to hold on to the progress that we've already made. And we've got to press Press on for more. All coasting means is that you're going downhill. You know, it's physics. If, if, you're, if you're coasting, it means that you're on a decline, which can be fun for a while, but that just means that you're soon gonna be on the bottom and have to work to climb back up the other side. And so because of this, we have to have a mindset of growth. You know what this does for me? 
Some people get discouraged by it. They're like, oh, I just want to rest. I just want to be me. I, I want to stop pressing. I want to stop pushing. And, and, and you know, I get that to a point. And Jesus does give us rest. We can rest in his presence. We can rest in his arms. And, and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But don't take that to mean that, that we just coast for the rest of our life because that's not the model at all. What a relationship with Jesus does is gives you a reason to keep pushing a reason to keep striving, a reason to keep getting to know him even when it's hard and even when you don't feel like it. This gives you purpose for the rest of your days, purpose to know him and to be known by him and to listen to him and to read his word and to suffer with him even through life's tough circumstances. But you gotta have this mindset that I'm focusing on the process of moving forward and I will not tolerate in my life going backwards. Just won't tolerate it. And, uh, and here I'm saying for yourself, a lot of times we don't want to tolerate stuff for other people. But hey, this is something that I personally, for myself, I, I'm not going to tolerate moving backwards. Number five, as we close today, we've got to be keenly aware of who we're following and where we are going. Keenly aware of who we're following and where we're going. It's almost like Paul is circling back and where we began today, that there are people that want to lead you astray. And a lot of times they're not doing it intentionally. They're not like, like I'm going to lead you astray. No, it's not like that. It's much more under the surface. Sometimes it's, 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 it's just the enemy working in and through people's lives to, to bring deception into your heart and into your life. And so that's why Paul says it like this in verses 17 through 21. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven. We've heard that a lot over the last few weeks, haven't we? Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Wow, amazing. And so what do we see in these verses? I'm following Jesus. I'm following leaders who follow Jesus. This is one of the most important reasons why we need to be in relationship with people here in the church. Christianity, following Jesus, is not a solo sport, right? You're here doing it with others. You should go to a life group when they're available. You should be you know, having dinner and having coffee with people that are following Christ and talking about what God is doing in your life. You should be having discussions in your home about what it means to follow Jesus with those closest to you. As we follow Christ... We're following leaders in our life. We're following each other. We're aware of those who might lead us to stray. We're testing everything. We don't just take other people's word for it, but we knowing the scripture for ourselves to back up our beliefs. Listen, we're, we're in the information age. You can find anything you want. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. And so it's important that you know where you're getting your information, who's giving it to you, and that those people really have Christ first in their lives. It's important who you're following. 
That's why Paul was very specific. Pattern your lives after mine and those who follow our example. Know who you're following. In five years, the difference in me and the difference in you will be the people that I hang out with and the books that I read. You heard that before? And it's so true. Who are you following? They might be people that you see all the time. They might be people that, be people that are mentoring you from far away through, through what you're reading and the, and the information that you're taking in. But the backdrop drop of all of it has to be that you're a citizen of heaven. And so hang out with other citizens of heaven. And then when you're in the world, you're, you're being an influence. You're giving with no strings attached. You're being generous. You're sharing the light of Christ. You're, you're laying down your lives for others because that's what Jesus did for you. Why? All because knowing Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And the more you get to know him, the more you start to look like him, and the more you start to affect the world in the same way that he affected the world. Wouldn't it be great if we all as a church started to affect the world in the same way that Jesus did? And we can do that by following his example, by falling in love with him, by being secure in our relationship with Jesus, by knowing him and by valuing that relationship with him more than anything else in our life. What's most important to you eventually becomes most important for the people around you. If it's important for you, it should be important for them. That's usually what happens, but someone has to rise up and be a leader. Someone has to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Somebody has to have the gumption to say, hey, I'm going to suffer for Christ even when no one else is going this way. Someone's got to do it. And it's even more powerful when a whole group of people do it. When a whole group of people say, I want to know Christ and I'm counting everything else in my life as garbage. And I'm going to live this life not just as a religious list of do's and don'ts, but out of love for a Savior who died me and gave, died for me and gave himself for me. Amen? Man, we need to have this attitude that, man, if it changed my life, it can change their life. If I need it, they need it. And the end goal is a reunion with Christ, that he's coming back, and we need to be ready, church. We need to be ready. We've talked about this a few weeks. If we're citizens of heaven, if, if this world is not our home, if, if the end goal is a reunion and a relationship with Christ, then it needs to be important to us now. And we need to make it a priority now. And it needs to be the thing that drives us and motivates every decision in our lives. Some of you might be listening to me right now and think, Joe, you're just radical. Joe, you're just sold out. Joe, you're just, you're just, you're just over the moon for all this stuff. And you're right, I am. But the, but the amazing thing is that is that you can be too. It's not just for me. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the leaders. It's for everyone. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and rise again so that we can come and just have a meeting. He came to have a relationship with you. And so what do you need today? You need an encounter with Jesus. You need to know him personally. You need to, to, to let him speak into your life. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. <clears throat> right now, it's your seat where you're at. How about you invite Jesus to speak to you today? In the same way that he showed up 
to Abraham and to Moses and to all the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament in the same way that he showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus. It's the same way that he, he spoke to the disciples around the table at the Last Supper. In the same way that he appeared and showed himself to at least 500 people after he rose again from the dead. You see, we believe that his presence can show up for you today. And so you might be searching, you might still be an unbeliever, you're not sure about all this, but maybe today you take a leap of faith. And in prayer, you invite God to speak to you. And when you open your ears and open your heart, you might just hear him say, I love you. I died for you. I've got a purpose for your life. I've got good plans for you. Life with me is so much better than life without me. I can take that guilt and that shame. I can throw it as far as the east is from the west. I want to have a relationship with you. You see, when you open your ears and you open your heart to the creator of the world, these are the type of things that he says to you. And before you know it, you're saying things like Paul said. I just want to know you, Jesus. Jesus, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. Everything that used to matter to me in life, it's garbage. Jesus, I just want you. And I want other people to know the same life-changing power that I've experienced. The power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that gives us a reason for being. The power that gives us an assurance of our salvation and where we're going to spend eternity. If that's you today and you say, Joe, I want to I want to take that leap of faith and I want to put my faith and my trust in Christ. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, unashamedly, raise your hand. Say, Joe, that's me. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. Amen. Anybody else that says, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to know him. I want to walk away from religion and I want to walk into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, if you're sitting at home listening today through live stream, Hey, you can raise your hand right in your room. Doesn't matter if I see it or not. God sees your heart. He sees what's going on in your life. He sees your desire to follow him. And that's the amazing thing about his presence. He's there with you right now. Amen. Hey, if that's you and you want to follow Jesus today, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer at your seat that sounds just like this. Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me, that you rose again on the third day. You're alive. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Please forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So come be my savior. Help me to follow you the rest of the days of my life. Help me to make my relationship with you a priority above all else. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.